Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991, to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Good morning, everyone. Bloomberg Surveillance, three days of the job economy, ADP yesterday, of course, Jobs Day tomorrow. Right now, our economic indicators brought to you by Commonwealth Financial Network. When it's time to change the conversation, talk with a broker-dealer, RIA, that's ready to listen. Call 866-462-3638 or visit Commonwealth.com to learn more. He's thick with economic data. Here's Vincent Del Judice. Vinny? Good morning, Tom. Jobless claims up by 11,000 last week, topping forecast at 276,000. Going into the report, economists had anticipated no change. Again, jobless claims up by 11,000 to 276,000. Earlier, Challenger's job cut report for March showing a more than 31% increase year over year. Still on the agenda, data on Chicago manufacturing. At the Bloomberg First Word Desk, I'm Vinny Del Judice. Let's go back to New York. Vinny, uh, thank you so much. Uh, minimal market movement there, and we'll, give, of course, have a lot more tomorrow on an April 1st uh, jobs day. Uh, it was no uh, uh, surprise to see Dean Mackey taking in each and every word and from Janet Yellen and the Q&A from Dean Hubbard and uh, uh, Vice Chairman Blinder as well. It was an event, and it's an event that still shakes the market. Dean Mackey for years at Barclays at 0.72. Uh, Steve Cohen shop. Uh, Dean, good morning. Uh, good morning, Tom. Where are we? What I, what I love about your work within, within the optimism of Dean Mackey economics is you will change on a dime. Are you adjusting your outlook at the end of this quarter? Uh, you mean in terms of this quarter's growth or the general outlook? Just the general outlook. Uh, no, I, I don't see any reason to be changing views at this time. Uh, in, in fact, I, I, I'm pretty encouraged by the, the general tone of the U.S. data. We we have uh, the, the labor market continues to roll along at a, at a very steady pace, and in many ways I think that's the best indicator of the underlying momentum in the economy. So when are we going to see any gains in wages uh, beyond the the bottom of the – Minimum wage grouping. Well, we are seeing, you know, modest modest gains in earnings. We're seeing two two and a half percent growth in average hourly earnings. I think the, the the actual trend is probably somewhat stronger than that because that number is being masked by things like older workers retiring, being replaced by younger workers. Those compositional effects are are important. So I think if you look at the same worker over time, like we look at in the Atlanta Fed index, uh, the number is uh, notably higher in terms of wage growth. Tom, any thoughts I, I, on that? No, I, 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 I just look and we're waiting and waiting. Dean, what has been the biggest surprise of the wait over the last three or four years? I mean, we just are waiting for the spirit to step in, and it hasn't. Why is that? Well, I think that one thing people are waiting for, which will probably never come, is growth rates like we had in prior expansions. So I think that that colors people's views of what strong growth should mean. Uh, when you know, we, when potential was two and a half or three, and we're growing four percent, everyone was very happy. Now, if potential is one to one and a half, and we're growing yeah. two, people still aren't very happy about it, and it doesn't seem seem to be that strong. 
Do you sense here a generational shift out of the politics of the moment? Or or is there a sense of, okay, we're in this Rogoff-Reinhardt, we're out nine years, ten years, whatever, and then we get back? I don't think we're going to go back to those those old growth rates, uh, and and mainly in my view that's due to demographics. Just baby boomers retiring, the labor force growing much more slowly in the years to come than it did in prior years. That's the biggest effect. And in addition, you layer onto that very weak productivity growth. Maybe that gets better at some point down the road, but there's certainly no evidence that it's improving right now. So when we talk about demographics, uh, I, I'm just behind the baby boomers, so I've watched them trample like an elephant and ruin everything in their path. But coming up at a couple of generations behind me are the millennials, and this is even a bigger group in raw numbers than the baby boomers. What are they going to do to the overall economy? Well, for the the near term, you know, things like the labor force participation rate for, say, the next decade or so, that's going to keep falling because just in terms of pure math, people leaving versus people coming in, that's going to, the baby boomers mm-hmm. are going to dominate that. Um, you know, the millennials may change things in other ways. You know, we are seeing somewhat different behavior among that group in terms yeah. of slower home ownership rate or slower buying of homes. Um, you know, there, there, there are differences from that perspective, and we'll see if those change as the millennials get older. They, they may start to buy homes at a greater rate, et cetera. But right now, they're not. You know, I look at, at where we are, Dean, and again, something you've written about in your work at Stanford as well, is the overlay of a lack of productivity. Is it mismeasurement or is it tangible? I'm I'm biased toward the idea that it's, it's not mismeasurement in general. Um, I'm, I'm not convinced that there is... There is reason to think that every year things are getting a lot better than the year before, and all of that is not being captured. Um, you know, I think there's always mismeasurement in the data. It's, it's a case that need, needs to be fleshed out much more, the idea that the mismeasurement is getting mm-hmm. greater and greater and greater every year. This is an important theme. Let's catch up on this with Dean Mack in our next section. Dean Mack, it was 0.72 uh, economics. Barry, productivity, uh, we were sobered nine, uh, 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 90 uh, days ago. We're sobered now on the lack thereof, whether it's Alan Greenspan or Dean Mackey. That's what the pros are focused on. Well, the, the old quote is productivity is showing up everywhere except the data, and I think that's something we could talk to Dean about yeah. in the next segment. Yeah, we will do that. Barry Riddleton, Tom Keene, Jobs Day tomorrow, Jim Gross. Uh, Jim Gross and Bill Glassman with us. It's been a long week. Yeah, it's truly real. Jim Glassman and Bill Gross will be with us uh, tomorrow. Charles Evans coming up about an hour's time with Kathleen Hayes as well. Green on the screen, uh, up fractionally in the equity markets this morning. Bloomberg Surveillance this hour brought to you by Volvo Cars White Plains. Visit VolvoCarsWhitePlains.com. With our news, here's Michael Barr. Tom Barry, thank you very much. The other presidential candidates are criticizing Donald Trump for his saying that if abortion becomes illegal, women who get one should face some sort of punishment. Trump later reversed himself, but the backlash was immediate. Republican rival Ted Cruz says once again Trump has demonstrated that he has not seriously thought through the issues. Republican rival John Kasich says he knows Trump would reverse himself. Speaking with ABC News this morning, Kasich says he's staying in the race because of things like Trump's record on women and Cruz's call for surveillance of Muslim neighborhoods. 
I don't believe Donald Trump is going to be the nominee, and this underscores his problem. This is why I stay in the race. Look, people say, why does he stay in the race? What, am I supposed to get, get out and leave it to these guys? Democrat Hillary Clinton tweeted about Trump, we can't let someone with this much contempt for women's rights anywhere near the White House. Democratic presidential candidate Bernie Sanders' campaign says it has raised $39 million so far just this month. It is day one of a nuclear security summit in Washington. President Obama, along with Asian leaders, would talk about North Korea and concerns over its nuclear weapons program. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. Now, Michael Barr. Tom, Barry. Uh, Michael, thanks so much. Time for the Bloomberg NBC Sports Hour. Uh, with us, uh, John Stashor. All right, Tom, last thing any team wants right at the end of the long spring training, an injury. Yankees suffered actually two yesterday. Reliever Andrew Miller hitting the right non-throwing wrist by a line drive. There's a chip fracture, not known how long Miller will be out, but the bullpen was seen as the Yanks' biggest strength, and it's now thin. Aroldis Chapman headed to a 30-game suspension, and Brian Mitchell, who made the team after an impressive spring, also yesterday injured his toe. He's headed for an MRI. Mets winless in their last 13 Grapefruit League games. will play the Cubs tonight in Las Vegas. Matt Harvey, two innings yesterday, perhaps upset with the way that bladder issue was reported, refused to speak with the media. He will start the opener Sunday, Kansas City. Knicks were without Christoph Porzingis, injured shoulder. They blew a lead in Dallas and fell 91-89. The story making the most news, the Lakers' divided locker room after rookie D'Angelo Russell secretly videotaped teammate Nick Young discussing cheating on his fiance in the videos surfaced on social media we play around and we joke and we and we laugh and we say things that you you don't you don't really repeat and that was just an incident of i guess playing playing too much goes wrong and i take the full blame for that recording the video or doing that but leaking the video wasn't wasn't um wasn't me last night though the lakers got a rare win they beat miami with the bloomberg nbc sports update i'm john stash john thanks so much john tucker the videos that we shoot here for social media uh on our on our commercial breaks are just spine tingling aren't they yeah are you almost as good as the audio are are you are you grocery shopping this afternoon uh you know what i just i tried out uh the that european supermarket aldi the low cost just yeah just for giggles, and, and uh, <laughs> you have to buy your own bag, and you have to rent. <laughs> you have to rent the shopping cart. The are, prices are great. The excitement of what we talked <laughs> about. Some research. Two words for you, John. Amazon Prime. Okay. Very, very good. Uh, there's the theory from Barry Ritholtz. Charles Evans coming up. Surveillance is being brought to you by Anchin, Block and Anchin, named the best accounting firm in North America for the sixth year in a row by Hedgeweek.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Surveillance. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Cameron Moscow. This update's brought to you by Sector Spider ETFs. Why buy a single stock when you can invest in the entire sector? Visit sectorspdrs.com or call 1-866-SECTOR-ETF. The number of applications for unemployment benefits in the U.S. climbed last week to a two-month high, a sign of more moderate labor market progress. Initial jobless claims increased by 11,000 to 276,000 in the week ending March 26th. 
and that's the highest since the end of January. U.S. stock index futures, meanwhile, are little change, with stocks heading for their first monthly gain in four. This following a rally that took the S&P 500 to this year's high. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. Again, U.S. stock index futures, their little change. The DAX in Germany is down six-tenths percent. CAC in Paris down nine-tenths percent. And the FT100 down three-tenths percent. Ten-year Treasury down one-thirty-second. The yield 1.82 percent. Yield on the two-year 0.75 percent. NYMEX crude oil up a quarter percent or ten cents to 38.43 a barrel. COMEX gold is up seven-tenths percent or eight dollars ninety cents to 12.37.50 an ounce. The euro, $1.1395, and the yen, $112.23. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Barry. Karen, uh, thanks so much. It is 848 on Wall Street. The following is from Bloomberg View. Opinions and commentary from Bloomberg columnists. I'm Megan McCardle, a columnist for Bloomberg View. California has reached a deal to raise its statewide minimum wage to $15 an hour. This is a big, broad political experiment. question is whether it will turn into a big, broad disaster. Dramatically higher minimum wages are gaining steam everywhere. But so far, they've mostly been tried in cities with a large and affluent professional class that can afford to pay somewhat more for goods and services. That doesn't mean that raising the minimum wage won't cause any problems even in those places. Even the professional class does have a budget. And if restaurants meals and dry cleaning bills go too high, they'll have to cut back somewhere else, throwing people out of work. The effect of a $15 minimum wage, however, is apt to be very different in San Francisco, where the average weekly wage is roughly $1,700, than it is in Mariposa County, where the average weekly wage is more like $640. Who in counties like that is going to subsidize increasing the wages of half the population? If we're going to try these sorts of experiments, we should try them slowly in small places with ample time to evaluate their effects, and with an understanding the results in some places may not generalize well to others. Instead, legislators increasingly seem to be opting for quick blanket solutions that may deal crippling blows to local economies that can ill afford them. I'm Megan McArdle. For more View, please go to BloombergView.com or View Go on the Bloomberg Terminal. This has been Bloomberg View. And Bloomberg View commentaries can be heard hourly weekdays on Bloomberg Radio. This is going to be fun, folks. Please uh, pay attention. Kathleen Hayes will interview Charles Evans. He is the Chicago Fed president, and he has been truly out front in our monetary thinking. We are honored to speak with Dean Mackey out of Stanford with 0.72, Steve Cohen shot 0.72, of course, for years at Barclays. Uh, Dr. Mackey, let's talk Charles Evans. And what's so cool here is he is a disciple of Bennett McCollum out of Carnegie Mellon. And this is Stanford out on the West Coast. And there's saltwater, there's Great Lakes, there's the Virginia School, and then there's the Freshwater School, largely associated with Bennett McCallum uh, and with Marvin Goodfriend and with Charles Evans as well. What is Charles Evans' economics as you perceive it? I think Charles Evans is, is a very practical economist. I, I don't think he's he's terribly colored by any particular school of thought. He seems to be aimed primarily at just figuring out what's going on with the economy. He has his own views, which are at times very different than the consensus of economists, uh, but I, I don't detect a, a particular slant in his, yeah. in his work. I strongly, strongly agree with that. And this is one of the guys who's always thinking, always supple. When people say he's leading the Fed, to me, that dialogue, Dr. Mackey, is the idea where he's been suspect about buoyant economic growth. Is that what you've perceived? I, well, I attended his 
speech yesterday at the Forecasters Club, and he, I think the, the dominant thing in his thinking is just he's nervous that we won't get back to 2% inflation. I think if we get back to 2% inflation, he would be much less dovish than he's been for, for quite some time. So I don't think he's, you know, and, and I think if, if, for example, a year from now, core inflation's well above 2%, he will not be on the dovish end of the committee, I do not think. So so let's talk about different types of inflation because we all know commodity prices have collapsed and, and we've certainly been enjoying the benefits of that. But what about inflation on the services side? What about things like health care and education that seem to be maintaining a very robust level of price increase? I think there is a big dichotomy between things that are exposed to the dollar and foreign global events, um, you know, mainly on the good side of the economy versus the service side. The service side is mainly driven by domestic developments, especially the labor market, and the service sector inflation is quite strong. And that's that's what's pushing, primarily what's been pushing core inflation higher uh, over in, in recent months. And what about the wage side of the equation? Are we any closer to seeing some increases in wages any time over the next few quarters? Or is that still something that's going to lag for a while? I think it, wage growth, which, you know, to be fair, already is positive. It's 2 to 2.5%. I think that will continue to drift higher. Uh, the the I think that measures like the Atlanta Fed's wage tracker, which adjusts for compositional effects, right now that's at 3.2%. That, that will also continue to move higher. So mm-hmm. when I step back, the, the thing that's true of every business cycle is that as the unemployment rate falls over time, wage growth picks up. There's no exceptions to that. And I don't think this cycle will prove to be uh, extremely different on that front. The timing can be tricky of month to month, et cetera, but that right. always happens. I mean, the, every Fed is, is different, Richmond, and, of course, Charles Evans with Chicago. Uh, Dean Mackey, do you get value from the Atlanta GDP Now forecast, which tweaks GDP day to day? I certainly watch it, and it, it's interesting to see how it evolves. I'm not convinced it's, you know, there's a lot of folks out there doing tracking estimates in a, in a yeah. different way, not the now casting, but they're, you know, adding up the GDP. I don't think there's persuasive evidence that the GDP now is is better over time than the others. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. So it's worth watching all of them. But certainly I think it's a valuable contribution. And then, and to be clear here, if you and many others say, look, the recession chit-chat is just off the mark, how do you define a growth recession? Is it a sequence of subpar quarters, is, as GDP now says we're in as we speak? I, I'm, I'm not a big fan of that term. You know, the way I, I know you're not. World, That's why I asked. The, the, the way I look at the world, GDP growth is on a trend of roughly 2 to 2.5%. We're going to have some stronger quarters, some weaker quarters. Yeah. I think you know, I think there's a distinction between that world, which has its ups and downs, and, and a truly recessionary world where you're turning to negative job growth, et cetera. So I, I don't, I, I'm not persuaded, for okay. example, that if, if we get half a percent in the first quarter, that that's, that's a, a terribly negative sign. That thought I heard at the Yellen speech wasn't me looking at my dessert as it hit the floor, the brick that it was. It was Dean Mackey falling off his chair. With all that you've said here, Dean, you must have been stunned listening to the truly dovish angle that the chair took. 
you know, it, it, it wasn't surprising she was dovish given her press conference a couple of weeks ago, which also was dovish, but to the extent of the dovishness was, yeah. was surprising at this speech, you know. So the way, the way I'd characterize it, we're getting closer and closer to the Fed's full employment goal, we're getting closer to their inflation goal, and she sounds like she's getting more and more worried all the time. And it, it, uh, that's, that's what's difficult to fully grab grasp, especially when markets have largely recovered their losses that, that we saw in the first quarter. So then what's left is a very small global growth downgrade of a couple months ago as, as the primary worry, and I have trouble getting extremely worried about that. So where does that put you in the parlor game? Obviously, you're not going to opine on April, but um, I, I mean, are you two, three, four, six rate increases? I think the, the best thing to do now is, is not to focus on the data and how that's likely to affect Fed policy because mm-hmm. the data would call for, clearly call for the Fed hiking in June. But, you know, one, one thing that's difficult about what she said is she was applauding the market pricing out the March hike and saying that that made, made things better. So the market's now pricing out the June hike and if you follow that reasoning, then, you know, then then that must be making things better, and then why would the Fed contradict that? Um, so you get into this circular loop that, that at some point the Fed's going to have to train the market rather than the other way around, but we seem to be some way off from that. Very quickly here. So, so does longer for lower turn into longer forever? I don't think so. If my view of the world is correct, I, I think the Fed will will ultimately fall behind in terms of, of inflation and the unemployment rate falling to unsustainably low levels. Um, but that's not a worry for right now. So for right now, I think the message from the Fed is risk on. You know, the Fed's not going yeah. to be, when we get strong data, the Fed's not going to be trying to move a lot faster because of that. And if we get weak data, the Fed's not going to be moving at all. Dean, thank you so much. Dean Mackey, 0.72 Economics. Of course, uh, in a tumultuous week of economics, the Yellen speech, folks, was stunning uh, in the the fallout uh, from it. Again, in 45, make it 48 minutes, Kathleen Hayes in conversation with the president of the Chicago Fed without question the interview of the day. Charles Evans, uh, every every, every word that he says will be studied for some form of direction. In these most interesting times, Barry Ritholtz and Tom Keen, another hour of Bloomberg surveillance.